Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar Magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastak. When you think of the symbols of the United States, stars, stripes, and the bald eagle are probably what come to mind. But the bald eagle is not actually the national bird of the nation. In fact, we have no national bird. And after reading Pulitzer Prize winner Jack E. Davis's new book, The Bald Eagle, The Improbable Journey of America's Bird, I have to say that it would be pretty queasy for the U.S. to start now, given that for the first half of the nation's history, we tried to hunt the bald eagle out of existence and then nearly killed it off a second time with widespread DDT use. But the bird is back from the brink, and Davis's book tells the story of how this exclusively North American eagle survived recrimination and reverence in equal measure to rebound in the 21st century. Jack E. Davis is the Rothman Family Chair in the Humanities at the University of Florida, and he joins us today to talk about the bald eagle. Thanks for talking to me, Jack. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So the bird has been the symbol of the United States for more than 200 years in its unofficial capacity. And you'd think we'd have the story straight by now. But what did you think was missing from all the myths we've been telling ourselves about this bird? I think what's been missing is how really important it is to us, not just simply as a symbol, but also ecologically, and that this bird as, a, as, a, as an apex species is is an indicator species uh, and that when it's doing well, it's telling us that we're doing well or we're, or we're doing well by the environment and that we share the, you know, the same environment. Uh, we drink the same water, breathe the same air. We tend to depend on the same uh, clean surroundings that, that bald eagles do. Silly as it may seem, I didn't know a lot about the bald eagle going in. So introduce us to bald the bird, distinct from bald the symbol. Well, so the bald eagle has been a symbol for the United States since 1782 when when Congress um, adopted the Great Seal of the United States. And uh, the image Americans fell in love with immediately. Uh, You didn't find it in in America on a lot of decorative arts or, or business or governmental insignia. And, um, but after 1782, uh, you, Americans started putting the bald eagle, specifically a bald eagle, not just a generic eagle, which was common before, um, specifically a bald eagle on all sorts of things, uh, from coinage to, uh, again, government insignia to business logos, organizational logos, sports teams, uh, uniforms and names and the uh, but as far as the species um, it was treated differently by Americans uh, again as I mentioned it's it's an apex species it's a top predator and it was treated like every other predator such as a mountain lion or or a coyote or a wolf and uh, those kind of predators were to be eradicated and Americans saw it as their civic duty uh, to uh, to do so in terms of physical likeness, I think that the, you know, there's an there there's an artistic component to the 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 bald eagle that's on the Great Seal of the United States, but I think it does a good job of 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 capturing the the, the traits we associate with both the image and the and the physical bird, the species. You know, it conveys strength and and and, and courage and and freedom. Um, and those are, of course, traits that we associate with this country. Is that why the bald eagle was selected in 1782? 
Well, it took Congress six years to come up with a seal that it uh, could agree on, uh, and uh, various uh, there there were various uh, renditions, three committees, uh, fourteen some odd um, uh, congressional members and consultants and artists, and uh, and finally in seventeen eighty two, um, the the president of the Continental Congress, uh, Charles Thompson said, enough is enough, we need a seal, we're about a year away from signing a peace treaty, we need to stamp it with something. Uh, we've got nothing, you know, no no national ID badge, if you will. And uh, so he was the one who proposed the, uh, the bald eagle. And eagles have been on nation-state seals and coats of arms dating back to the ancient Romans and Greeks. But all those eagles are generic eagles, non-ornithological eagles, as I call them. Uh, and so the bald eagle is actually the first eagle to be an identifiable species on a great seal of, of a nation. And it's an appropriate one because the bald eagle uh, nests only in North America. So it's truly an all-American bird. Uh, it was readily accepted by, by Congress. And I think we don't really know exactly why Congress said yes to this. Maybe Congress was desperate said, okay, enough is enough. We get, We need a seal. My guess is that the delegates to uh, the Congress uh, recognized that these very traits in the bald eagle that I mentioned were those that they wanted to be associated with their nation. But also what was vitally important to the delegates to the Continental Congress is that the U.S. identify itself uh, separate of European nations, particularly Great Britain. It wanted to have its own identity. So to have an all-American bird represent the United States made total sense. Is that myth about uh, Ben Franklin and the great American wild turkey true, or is there more to that too? <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's untrue. It depends on how you phrase the myth. Uh, many people believe that uh, Ben Franklin wanted the, the wild turkey to represent the country, to be on the great seal, to be the national bird, quote unquote, uh, and he never said that. He wanted uh, something altogether different for the Great Seal of the United States. He was on the first committee uh, that was appointed by Congress on July 4, 1776, to design a seal. Uh, and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were on that committee, too. And they failed miserably. I'm not going to tell you what Ben Franklin wanted on that seal, because I want listeners to read the book and find out for themselves. But we'll put it this way. When I learned, it blew my mind. Now, what is true with regard to uh, Ben Franklin and the, the wild turkey and the bald eagle is he compared the quote unquote morality of the, of the, of the two birds, saying that the, the turkey was an honest and, and courageous bird and the bald eagle was a, a, a rank coward and thief. And he described it as a rank coward and thief because bald eagles have this penchant for stealing fish from osprey after they've gone through the hard work of catching it, but also from other eagles as well. I think that's very funny because currently in D.C., um, there is a male turkey harassing cyclists and pedestrians on one of the nature walks through town. So I think it's very funny that Ben Franklin was like, turkeys, they're honest. <laughs> eagles, they're not, because I've you know never felt threatened by a bald eagle, but I always watch out for that turkey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you you need to watch out from turkeys sometimes. Some of the stuff that people wrote about the bald eagle is uh, there. It's pretty damning and and pretty pretty mean. A lazy thief for stealing from ospreys. A threat to society 
And then um, this very interesting idea, I think that made it on film, that they kidnapped babies. Yes, that was the common belief. Uh, bald eagles were accused of stealing livestock. So that was a threat to farmers. Um, but also in, in those days, in the 18th and 19th century, uh, even people living in towns and cities uh, raised chickens uh, for their eggs and, and for the dinner plate as, as well. And bald eagles, while they were accused of flying away with calves and, and sheep, all of which were, were too heavy for them, uh, they can carry away a chicken. At every opportunity, they, they'll, they'll do that. But uh, being chicken thieves was exaggerated um, or morphed into being livestock thieves generally. And Americans considered it their, their public duty to shoot or to club bald eagles to protect that livestock or allegedly protect it. Also, salmon fisher in Alaska accused bald eagles of, of being unnecessary competition uh, and uh, flying away, you know, catching too many salmon and eating into their profits. Uh, bald eagles tend to prey on spawned out salmon, which are no good for the, for the market. Uh, so again, another um, horrific uh, exaggeration that uh, really jeopardized the, the very existence of, of bald eagles. I mean, how bad did it get? How close were bald eagles to the brink by the beginning of the 20th century? By the beginning of the 20th century, they were missing in action, if you will, in uh, many of the uh, eastern seaboard states and, and midwestern states where they were once very common. To put that in perspective, um, at the time that Continental Congress approved the Great Seal of the United States, bald eagles were nesting probably every mile or two along the Delaware River and uh, right outside their doors. You know, the, the Continental Congress in those days uh, met in Philadelphia. And, um, but by the 1880s, uh, it, to see a bald eagle in New York or Pennsylvania or new, many of the New England states was, was a rare sight. And, um, so rare that many people believe that bald eagles were, were Rocky Mountain birds. Mm. Uh, so we don't have a census. Nobody took a census of bald eagle, of the bald eagle population in the early 20th century. But through anecdotal information, um, you know, it's very common to read in newspapers that, um, you know, if a bald eagle happened to be seen in a, in a town on the East Coast in, say, 1910, uh, it was a big deal. And newspapers said, we haven't seen a bald eagle in, uh, around these parts in 20 years or whatever. So it was, it was in um, uh, dire straits by the early 20th century. In the lower 48, but not in Canada or Alaska, where they were also killed. But the, the population was much healthier in Alaska to begin with. Mm -hmm. Well, this is all this like treatment of the bald eagle. And is really at stark odds, I think, with the significance the bald eagle had to indigenous Americans. And you devote a significant part of the book to talking about um, what this animal meant to the hundreds of tribes across the country. So can you just spend some time contrasting that? I mean, obviously you know, the bald eagle was not hunted to extinction before Europeans arrived. So that's already a contrast. What else was different? Well, there are similarities and differences. Many native groups uh, regarded the, the bald eagle as a, as a messenger bird or spirit bird that would deliver messages to um, dead ancestors or to uh, the creator, uh, a bird of heaven, if, if you will, or of the heavens. And for Americans, the bald eagle was never uh, really 
only on rare occasions, any sort of religious symbol. Uh, certainly not to the same extent. Um, also, Native peoples regarded bald eagle feathers and body parts as uh, conduits to um, that 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 other world, and so they were hunted uh, for spiritual reasons, but um, not excessively, as 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 you suggested. Uh, and uh, those who were designated hunters among uh, native groups went through elaborate rituals before actually taking eagles out of the wild. Until we, we fully reconcile our relationship with Native peoples and their relationship with bald eagles, we can never fully uh, reconcile our, our relationship with, with bald eagles. It seems, you know, eventually we did get there. There was the Bald Eagle Protection Act of 1940 that ultimately prevented the deliberate decimation, shall we say, of this population and like, I think, reinstated it into that pantheon of America. What was that journey like? How did we get there? And who were some of the people who, you know, went against the winds of prevailing public opinion and said, like, well, no, we should actually protect this bird? So by the late 19th century and early 20th century, it was becoming evident to many Americans that the bald eagle was in trouble in the lower 48 states or the population was in trouble. And also recognizing that it would be duplicitous for the United States to lose the uh, living symbol in the Great Seal of the United States. So they began calling for its protection. And ironically, in 1917, when America entered the war in Europe, um, what we call World War I now, then it was known as the Great War, um, the bald eagle is a, its image followed Americans abroad, you know, but yet here this, the symbol of freedom, this bird of freedom was being denied its own freedom back in the United States. And Alaska in that very year passed a bald eagle bounty. So anybody who turned in a set of talons could collect 50 cents, uh, from the territory of Alaska. And that bounty remained in effect from 1917 to 1952. And, the territory paid bounties on over 128,000 bald eagles during that period. So many of the people who were in the early 20th century um, calling for the protection of the bald eagle were also calling for the abolition of the Alaska bounty. And among the loudest voices was a member of Audubon by the name of Rosalie Edge. She was a New Yorker who pushed National Audubon to uh, lobby for protection for the bald eagle, and National Audubon refused to. So she started her own organization called the Emergency Conservation Committee and rallied the troops, if you will, and eventually she and others convinced Congress to pass protective legislation for the bald eagle. And then, of course, the irony of this is the perhaps more familiar story of the threat to the bald eagle, the DDT, comes into effect. Was there any moment of recovery for the bald eagle, really, given that like it got this protection and then suddenly this extremely deadly pesticide is sprayed everywhere? Yeah, that's very observant. Um, there are a couple of ironies associated with the Bald Eagle Protection Act of 1940. First of all, it's the first federal act that protected a single species, all protective legislation before that protected groups of, of animals. But the bald eagle got its own federal law. Uh, but with the passage of that law, criminalized traditional Native behaviors. Uh, Native peoples were no longer allowed to uh, take bald eagles out of the wild. They could be punished like any uh, anybody else uh, could be punished with a, a large fine and even a prison sentence. Uh, but five years after the 
the passage of the Bald Eagle Protection Act in 1940, DDT was released on the, the general market. And Americans fell in love with this pesticide and uh, blanketed the lower 48 with it, not just for agriculture, but also for forestry, but also in home, for home use. You could go to the grocery store and buy any variety of, of DDT products uh, to, to use in your home. And it had a devastating impact beginning in the late 40s and on through the 1950s on the bald eagle population, the osprey population, any fishing raptor population, because DDT got into streams and lakes and and bays and bayous and into uh, the the body of of fish uh, and eventually into the body of these fishing raptors. And of course, songbirds and other birds suffered dramatically during the DDT years. Uh, so the first census we have of the eagle population was uh, conducted in 1963. And the bald eagle population, the nesting population across the lower 48 was fewer than 500. Wow. Again, let me put that in perspective. At the time that um, the Europeans began settling North America, the estimated population of bald eagles uh, was 500,000. But here in 1963, we have fewer than 500 nesting pairs. All of the New England states, with the exception of Maine, were without nesting uh, bald eagles. All of the southern states were without nesting bald eagles, with the exception of Florida. And occasionally, the the Carolinas, they might have one or two. Pennsylvania had no nesting bald eagles. Uh, New York had no nesting bald eagles. A number of the Midwestern states had no nesting bald eagles. It was in trouble um, uh, by the 1960s. It sounds like it was really close to the edge. How on earth did we bring it back from the brink? Well, 1970, I like to describe 1972 as a watershed year for the bald eagle. And people had recognized, obviously, Rachel Carson in uh, 1962 when she published Silent Spring, um, and others recognized the direct impact of DDT on wildlife, in particular bird life. And, you know, bureaucracy moved slowly in, in Washington. Uh, but by 1972, the EPA banned the sale of, of DDT in the United States. A very controversial move. Um, industry, many industries uh, lobbied against that ban. Um, also in 1972, the Congress increased the, the penalty for harming bald eagles. Uh, and in 1972, it added raptors to the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which had been passed in 1918. But because of the prejudice against raptors, they were not included in that act. But also in 1972, Congress passed the Clean Water Act 50 years ago this October, which went a long way to cleaning up the nation's waters. In 1972, when they passed the, the Clean Water Act, Barely one-third of the nation's waters were safe for swimming and fishing, uh, and estuarine environments have been wiped out by pollution, uh, industrial pollution, but also wastewater pollution. Um, and the same was true for aquatic environments and rivers and, and lakes. Uh, the Cuyahoga River in Ohio is probably the most famously um, polluted river, the one that caught on fire multiple times uh, and uh, beginning in the, in the 19th century and the the last time in 1969. Yeah, I, it's astonishing to think just how bad things were. It was well before my time, and, you know, things don't seem great today, but also, looking back, we have come quite a way. 
uh, quite a way. <laughs> and with those chess pieces in place of 1972, but also the, the Endangered Species Act of 1973, U.S. Fish and Wildlife launched uh, bald eagle restoration programs uh, uh, across the country where the, where the population had depleted. And those programs continued on into the 1990s and uh, were hugely successful. So we have to attribute the comeback of the bald eagle not only to ourselves and these, these redeeming actions that we took, but also to bald eagles th- themselves. As I, as I like to say, they have the, the ideal family values. They mate for life. Um, they maintain a fidelity to the same nest for uh, decades, as long as that nest continues to exist. Um, and they care for the young with such devotion. They feed them so well that when they leave their natal territory between 16 and 20 weeks of age, uh, they are typically larger or way more than their parents do. I mean, it also makes for really good bird PR. You know, you can set up a bald eagle cam and not move it. You know, everything I know about bald eagles today, I learned from the National Arboretum Nest Cam before I read your book. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Mr. President and Lotus, you know, they're, they're great PR for the bald eagle. They absolutely are. And um, uh, people love across the world, love the bald eagle cams. We have uh, 50 or more of them set up around the United States and in Canada. And they fantastic PR. We learn so much from them. Uh, and we've, we have Americans have fallen in love with the bald eagle, the, the living species in a way that they never loved it before. Yeah, I was really struck in your prologue. I mean, you profile, you know, people who have been negatively affected by the bald eagle, you know, someone whose pizza was stolen, someone whose entire catch of fish was stolen, and they're still all like, yeah, bald eagles. I love it. (laughs) Yes. And I interview a uh, Southwest Georgia rancher who um, has been on, his family has been on the same property since the 1860s. And um, he went into the free range chicken business a few years ago. And uh, uh, he'd never seen any bald eagles around his property until he did. And suddenly bald eagles started showing up. And he probably gets 80 to 100 bald eagles every winter between breeding season who come feed on his, as he calls them, low-hanging fruit, uh, his, his chickens. And when I interviewed him, he, he told me, he said, I could never harm a bald eagle. He's lost thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and he said, I could never harm a bald eagle. There's just something spiritual about it. We have links in the show notes to Jack E. Davis's new book, The Bald Eagle, as well as all of the nest cam footage you could ever ask for. And I should note, this is not my first conversation about birds. Two previous episodes have discussed the Caracara of South America and the ravens of the Tower of London. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp.